On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. We are joined in studio by the Minister for Children, Equality, Disability, Integration and Youth, Roger Gregorman. Uh, Minister, thank you for coming in this lunchtime. Uh, you said during the week that there was every chance that City West as a processing centre for people um, seeking asylum and those who've been granted refugee status um, was likely to be closing its doors again. Are we at that point yet or is it far away? Good afternoon, Gavin. Uh, we're we're close to that point. Um, we're, we're in a, a, a particularly difficult situation now in terms of accommodation, particularly accommodation for international protection applicants. Uh, right now, we're, we're accommodating 19,000 international protection applicants as well as 54,000 uh, displaced persons from Ukraine so 73,000 in total. So that's 54,000 who are actually being directly, directly accommodated, accommodated by the state. I see. There's about maybe 70,000 Ukrainians in total in the okay. state but we're, we're, uh, we're accommodating uh, 54,000 of them. So um, my department are working very hard and continue to work hard to provide and, and source additional accommodation. Even over the, the Christmas period where I previously identified we were under pressure, we added an additional six and a half thousand beds between uh, Ukrainian and, and international protection accommodation. But just right now, uh, with numbers of, of, of those arriving continuing to be significant mm. uh, and just it's particularly hard at the moment to source additional hotel accommodation. So we have a, a very real situation coming into the next week where people, we won't be able to accommodate everybody arriving here. What are the numbers coming in on a daily basis at the moment, roughly speaking? In terms of uh, on the on the international protection side, you're looking at kind of uh, on average maybe uh, uh, 350 a week. So you're looking some around 70 a day kind of averaged out okay. across the uh, uh, across Over the week weekdays, yeah. uh, in terms of Ukraine uh, you're 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 looking at maybe uh, around maybe 120 130 a week the the Ukrainian numbers uh, reduced the arrival of Ukrainians did reduce after Christmas after New Year's there, there was a significant increase in the run up to Christmas and then they they've reduced uh, and they haven't maybe come back as much as as they had prior to Christmas yeah. but they are rising again and, and again I, I just started to, to finish the point I suppose we we, we are very much at the you know at the mercy of we, we don't know the numbers who are who are going to arrive well, on, the, on the day-to-day basis that was what and I was going to ask yeah, you do, yeah. you do you have any modeling of how many might come in the near we, term we, we have modeling uh, and you know sometimes but but a model I suppose is, is only as good as the as the information that you have and that can change very much if there's another uh, spate of tax on civilian targets across uh, across Ukraine that can obviously uh, lead to to, to yeah. a significant movement of, of, of people um, so a situation where City West may be effectively full obviously you still remain in operation for those who were already there but incapable of taking on any more mm. and a situation where a lot of other hotels that are currently under contract to your department are going to decide to go back to their regular tourism markets in the coming weeks and a lot of contracts that aren't going to be renewed it seems that it's a situation which is going to get not, a lo- not only worse in the coming weeks but significantly and acutely worse and people who are already living in hotels prospectively would nowhere new to go so as I say, there, there is going to be real pressure over the uh, over these weeks and 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 subsequent month, months as well. Um, in terms of City West, it's likely that this week it'll close to new arrivals for accommodation. The centre will continue to process the arrivals of people, give people their their mm. um, their their temporary protection directive letter and, and the like. But what we will do is we will look to ensure that vulnerable people, so international protection applicants, where you have a family with children, we look to make sure that we can continue to try and accommodate 
accommodate them. Mm. But as I say, there is a real risk that those maybe travelling as, as, as single individuals, as single adults, won't be accommodated over the next number of weeks. We are working closely with mm. other government departments, with other agencies to look to, to bring on some contingencies. Uh, but as I say, we, we are in a particularly yeah. difficult situation right now. So then what's that going to mean then if the state is unable to accommodate them? Is it literally just going to mean those people being told to sort themselves out that sorry there's nothing we can do for you? So the measures we, we will put in place is obviously we'll take everybody's details and once we're in a position to provide more accommodation we'll get back in touch with people and, and, and bring them back into the accommodation system. We'll obviously also look to provide them with food vouchers so so they, so, so, so they can, uh, can, can avail of meals but uh, we won't be in a position to offer accommodation to everybody for, for a period of time. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about the consequence of that in just a second but what are you doing to try and find more accommodation because obviously there is a ceiling on how much there literally is. There, mm-hmm. there is a finite number of mm-hmm. beds in the country, there's a finite number of available facilities to put them into. Obviously it's been foot to the floor for the last 12 months trying to find alternative venues and even in the news in the last couple of days disused churches that have now been partitioned up and used for emergency temporary accommodation. What more can you do? Or like We're pretty much at the full resources of the state at this point, aren't we? Well, we will be able to bring on some additional uh, accommodation in towards the end of February, and we're, we're we're working to bring that on 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 online as quickly as possible. In the interim, is that a City West like facility? We'll, so, so some larger facilities, yes, and and, and some kind of smaller and uh, medium sized facilities mm. a, a, as well. Um, we're also engaging closely with you know other uh, government departments and, and colleagues across government and other agencies in terms of having some contingency measures for the next number of weeks because we are particularly conscious that we really don't want to be in this situation where we're not able to at least offer everybody some element of accommodation mm. uh, and we're working to see what we can bring in bring, bring in uh, in place over the next number of, of, of days. So if we're in a situation now where people coming into the country in the coming days are going to find literally no beds available to them, the question that's naturally going to follow is whether we have overextended ourselves in trying to offer such a hand of friendship and welcome to so many of those people in the last 11 months and whether in truth we have bitten off more than we can chew. Well, I've always spoken in terms of both our, our, our legal and our moral obligations here and our, our legal obligations are, are clear for both in terms of Ukrainians and, and international protection applicants. We don't have a legal authority to say no to people uh, and that applies to all countries uh, in terms of international protection. It also applies mm. to all EU member states in terms of in, in, in terms mm. of Ukraine. So, just, so, Sorry to interrupt you, but just to make sure that listeners are, are full on the distinction. So people coming from Ukraine because of the protection directive that's in place already in Enjoy refugee status. So when they come here, it is presumed that they are entitled. It's, to it's not quite refugee status. They they enjoy this particularly unique status for a one year period at the moment, where they're able to to uh, avail of, I suppose, services on the same basis as as, as an Irish citizen. Okay. They're able to work straight away. They're able to receive social welfare and the like. Mm. Uh, so it, it's it's slightly different from from kind of and, traditional and for this one year period, that is their entitlement. That is their, okay. their, their and then for, for those coming from elsewhere, asylum seekers, or as yeah. we call them, international, international protection, protection applicants. applicants. So they come to Ireland and they are uh, entered into a process whereby they are claiming that they have uh, refuge that they deserve refugee status because of the experiences they had in their home country and we have a system the international protection office that examines their 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 claim mm. and makes an adjudication on that as we know in Ireland in the past that took far too long that was a, a process that could take 5 
four or five years. Mm. Um, the Department of Justice have done a lot of work uh, in this government to invest in more staff there so those applications can be dealt with much more quickly yep. and people can actually get a, a determination, yes or no, whether they are refugees or not. So if there is no legal entitlement on the state to, to turn them away or if, if each of their cases has to be given the due regarding, you have to deal with each application as it comes. On the Ukrainian side then, the question arises as to whether there's been equitable distribution of people coming from Ukraine across all EU member states. I think if you look at the, the breakdown of the um, numbers per capita, Ireland is pretty much at the top of the table for the the volume of Ukrainian uh, nationals who have been received into the country in the last seven months relative to everywhere else in the EU. And you wonder whether there could have been something better done at an EU level to make sure that there was more equitable distribution. Or is that itself even possible? I think when you look at where Ireland, Ireland has, has really stepped up in terms of the Ukraine response. And I think we're high, particularly for, compared to countries that aren't immediately adjoining Ukraine. I think when you look at the Germanys, the, the Czech Republics, the, uh, the Polands, they mm. even per capita, they're much bigger countries, but even per capita, they would have a higher number of Ukrainians than ourselves. Mm. But if you look at, let's say, Western Europe, European countries, Ireland has done a, 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 a good job, mm. and I think the Ukrainians have recognised, you know, the strong welcome we've 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 provided as a country. The the temporary protection directive doesn't make, I suppose, a, a percentage allocation to to member states. That 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 wasn't one of the mechanisms put in place. With so, it. so there isn't like a, a pro rata allocation among member no, states. No, there 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 isn't there isn't so a mechanism. That effectively for that. mean then, if any Ukrainian person decides to avail of their their interim legal right to come here, that the state is effectively then required to try do its best to accommodate that person even when we already know that we have effectively run out of beds to do so. And that's why we're being, I suppose, as clear as possible particularly with the Ukrainian community and particularly with Ukrainians who are considering uh, moving at the moment uh, about the situation in Ireland, about the pressure we're under. We have a very strong relationship with the ambassador and I suppose we engage with her in terms of getting that message out to Ukrainians that if you're safe where you are at the moment, now is not time to travel to Ireland because uh, whereas if you can accommodate yourself and there are maybe about 15,000 Ukrainians who are accommodating themselves in Ireland, obviously there's no issue but you can't be, I suppose, automatically guaranteed accommodation here at the moment right now because of the pressure we're under. So just to make very clear on that, then the government is is actively telling members of the Ukrainian community who are considering coming to Ireland that right now there is, to to borrow a phrase, no room at the inn. We're making it it clear that they understand the level of pressure that's on accommodation in Ireland at the moment. And I say that's been, I suppose, a dialogue that we've had with the Ukrainian community. Uh, Again, you know, the temporary protection directive allows them to travel here, but Mm. we just have to be, you know, very up front in terms of the, the challenges that we're experiencing on the accommodation side. Can I ask you about some, some other issues? Um, the Minister of Public Expenditure, Pascal Dunne, who uh, we're told in the papers that he's spending the weekend going through all of his election filings to make sure there aren't any other undisclosed donations and uh, election expenditure that he hasn't yet accounted for. This is a situation now which has been going on for eight days and is going to continue for another two. Surely this is destabilising the work of government in the meantime. No, I don't. I don't think it is. Um, you know, uh, Minister Donoghue uh, has recognised that there was a, a, an error in his, his, his twenty sixteen SIPO returns, and he's, he's bringing forward a new, a new return, which which SIPO will, will obviously examine. And I, and I think he's apologised for that, and I think that was that, that was important that he did so. Um, he's going to be making a statement in the Dáil this week and answering questions in terms of the the, the his twenty twenty uh, election returns, mm. and I think that will be the opportunity to to to, to, to 
put an end to the to, to this particular matter. Are the other members of Cabinet, uh, have they been briefed at all on what is contained within this disclosure that he needs to make or what he's found about 2020? No, uh, we haven't. I, I think, uh, as you said earlier on, he is taking this weekend to make sure he can give as as, as full a, a, a return to SIPO and as full a, a set of details to, to the Dáil as possible when, it, when he makes his statements and, and takes questions. So if you don't know what he needs to tell the Dáil or if you don't know the extent, larger or otherwise, that he's found about 2020 that needs rectifying, how can you come in here and defend his behaviour? How can you win and, and express confidence in him when you've got no idea what he's sitting on? Well, of course, we do have to see the the statement uh, the statement uh, that that he makes next week. But I, uh, I suppose, in terms of what he's said so far, uh, I still have full confidence in him. Um, I think he's recognised that there was an error, and he's he's apologised for that. Uh, and I think, in terms of his work uh, as as both finance minister and now as public expenditure minister, and of course his work uh, within the within the European Union, um, you know, I, I have I have full confidence in his ability to continue to 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 you know mm. support the the strong economic growth that he's a key element. But of. you've got full confidence in him, and you can come here and state to, to to me and to all of our listeners that you have full confidence with him in him, despite not knowing what he has to disclose about 2020, and despite it now being known that as the minister responsible for the ethics system that he was aware in 2017 his disclosures were incomplete and did nothing to amend it. Well, as I say, I'm in in terms of, of full confidence. I'm speaking in terms of what he what he said to the doll last week. Uh, obviously, like all of us, we have to hear what what he has to say in terms of the the the, the 2020 uh, 2020 returns. Um, but you know, um, as I say, he's he's provided. Uh, a new, uh, an amended return to SIPO. Mm. SIPO are the body that makes an, an adjudication on that. But in terms of what he said to the doll last week and in terms mm. of his apology, I accept that. I recognise it was a, a, an yeah. error. Um, and uh, look, obviously, we'll see. He told the doll that there was, nothing, he he the that there was nothing incomplete about 2020. And we now know that wasn't the case. So there's a credibility problem there, isn't there? Um, I, 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 I don't recall what he said on 2020 in the Dáil. I was there at the time. I, I don't, I don't recall him saying. Well, irrespective yeah. of whether it was in the Dáil or not, he said yeah. at his press conference last Sunday, and he said again at a Eurogroup yeah. press conference on Monday night that he'd yeah. been through everything else, and that 2016 was the only issue that needed addressing. And yeah. that now turns out not to be the case. Yeah. Well, look, um, I think it's as I say, he is, um, because this was the the degree of of um attention on this issue right now. I think it's important that he brings forward absolute clarity in terms of every element on, 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 on 2020. Uh, I've no doubt that he'll do that, uh, both in terms of a report, uh, the, the, the the official return to SIPO, but also in terms of what he says in the okay. doll next and week. And full confidence in the meantime. Uh, one other issue uh, before I let you go. Uh, all this week on News Talk, we're going to be shining a spotlight on domestic abuse in, in partnership with Women's Aid and with Alliance. Um, and just because you're the minister responsible for equality issues, and some of this is adjusted issue mm-hmm. but some of it is an equality issue as well um, do you think that the state has, has done enough to protect women in, in vulnerable situations by way of you know getting paid leave or providing enough refuge spaces we know that Ireland is falling short of international commitments on refuge mm-hmm. spaces but are you confident that we're on the right path to addressing it I, I, I would agree we haven't done enough as a state in the past but I think this government have really prioritised the issue of domestic sexual and gender based violence and I know indeed in, in the programme for government we called it out that there was an ep- epidemic of DSGBV in, in the state right now and that's set out clearly in the programme for government and that has I suppose influenced 
uh, what we've done. So the work Minister McEntee has done in terms of the third national strategy that, that herself, myself and the Taoiseach launched a, a number of months ago. Uh, the fact that we're now creating a, a, a specific agency designed to tackle domestic, sexual and gender-based violence. And this is a major change in the state's response. It's to bring together responsibility for both the policy response, the criminal law response, but also uh, the services for victims of, of, of domestic and sexual mm. violence all within the one agency. And this has been a, an ambition of NGOs and people working in this sector for a long time and that's going to be achieved by this government. So that agency is going to be set up that, when? That's the, the work on the, uh, setting up that agency is ongoing at the moment. I think it'll be set up by the end of the of, of the lifetime of this government. Uh, and of course the, the work that I've been doing in my own department to bring forward uh, paid domestic violence leave so for victims of domestic violence to be able to take some time for, for out of work mm. without losing their their, their, their salary to, to address the consequences of the, the abuse they've suffered this would be a, one of the first countries in Europe to actually bring that in. This is a slightly technical detail on that but isn't there a concern that people who might be entitled to avail of that might feel like they don't want to come clean to an employer or to make it clean to their work colleagues that they've been the victim of domestic violence and, and what they're we're doing going to be reluctant to take it. At the same time as bringing the leave we're actually bringing in a set of policies and policy guidance for workplaces so they can be more confident in how they address a situation where an employee um, voices that they've been a victim of, of domestic sexual or gender-based violence and to, I suppose, create uh, a, a situation in workplaces where, where these conversations can actually take place because we recognise that is a, a, an issue, Gavin, and we're learning from uh, a number of other jurisdictions, New Zealand and Australia, who have already brought in pay leave for domestic violence victims. Okay. Uh, we're out of time. Thank you very much for coming to join in studio this lunchtime. Roger Gorman is the Minister for Children, Equality, Disability, Integration and Youth. Uh, we're going to be continuing uh, this discussion on domestic abuse across News Talk all this week in partnership with Alliance of Women's Aid. Uh, on Breakfast tomorrow with Kieran Shane, we'll speak to Sergeant Laura Sweeney on what you should do if you witness domestic abuse. And on Pack Any tomorrow, he'll be joined by Sarah Benson, the Chief Executive of Women's Aid. To donate to Women's Aid and to find out more about the Stand Strong campaign, go to standstrong.ie. On the record with Gavin Riley. Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PWC. Great minds think unalike. Different skill sets, diverse opinions, it all adds up to the new equation. On News Talk.